0: So one of the things I hear all the time from small organizations is, but my board won't fundraise, therefore we can't be successful fundraising. And I get it. Our sector loves to talk about the success of fundraising, really reliant on board fundraising, right? If you don't have a fundraising board, we often hear that you probably aren't going to have success fundraising as an organization. I don't believe that's true. But I also don't think that just because it's not true, you shouldn't try to get your board and volunteers fundraising. So today's conversation is all about that. And I know that this is a topic that resonates a lot with our audience, you, our audience, and you're very curious about. So I've invited to the podcast, Elizabeth Abel, to talk about that. You're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, and I'm your host, Cindy Wagman. And I'm so excited to have you here because you are going to change the world, and we are here to help. So with that, Elizabeth is the Senior VP at CCS Fundraising, which is a global fundraising consulting firm. She's also an instructor of fundraising and philanthropy at Uh, Penn or the University of Pennsylvania right yeah and uh and a new-ish uh parent to a toddler so Elizabeth welcome to the podcast thank you so much Cindy really thrilled to be here I'm so excited to have this conversation. As I said in the intro, you know, this is something that I hear from organizations over and over, and it's a huge frustration. And uh, I talk a lot about some of the uh, mindset barriers that boards struggle with, but I'd love to hear from you what you've seen work with. Uh, board members or volunteers i mean we're i'm kind of just diving into the deep end like what what how can we approach them to get them interested and excited in fundraising
1: so that is the number one question <laughs> that i hear in my work as well and i'm really thrilled to be having this conversation it is one of my favorite topics how we can engage board members as fundraising ambassadors for our organizations And so my hope is that we'll really cover three things in our conversation today. One, we'll understand the role of the board in elevating an organization's fundraising program. Two, we'll start to talk about some action-oriented strategies to recruit and engage diverse board members in your fundraising activity. And then three, we'll wrap up with some best practices that organizations, specifically smaller organizations, can apply to really leverage their board members as fundraising ambassadors, ultimately scaling their revenue and amplifying their impact. I love it. So let's
0: dive right in. Uh, You know, you, you talk about the role of the board, and I think that when a lot of people picture what, what, what conjures in their mind when we say board fundraising is, you know, the board member recruiting board members solely because they have the capacity to fundraise or to who have, you know, we call them the rainmakers, but I'd like to redefine that. So what does, what is for, especially for small organizations, what does board fundraising, I think you said sort of elevate, um, the, how can a board elevate fundraising? And what does that actually mean uh, if it's not what we instinctively picture?
1: And instinctively picturing, I assume, is asking others for money, right? We're like asking, like focus on major gifts.
0: Like I always hear from board members, they say, well, I don't know anyone who can give. And what they're picturing, I think, it's like, who do I know who can write a $10,000 check? Right exactly. or what CEO of a company can I pick up the phone and call? And so we kind of like think of that as board fundraising. Yeah, but let's read.
1: Let's define it. Let's redefine in a more it. productive way. Yeah. <laughs> So I think of board members as fundraising ambassadors. So what does that mean? Well, board members are one of the greatest assets to any nonprofit's fundraising efforts because they champion your mission, they engage their networks, and they do provide financial support. But the real thing that they are is they're multipliers, right? So board members are natural storytellers and advocates in your local community. They bring a diverse set of experiences and skills and talents to the table. And yes, many of them do have potential avenues of new support that can you know, further generate revenue. But really, they're multipliers of all that you're doing programmatically, operationally, and of course, your philanthropy. Amazing. And can you give us an example
0: of like that sort of what, what, uh, what does it look like practically speaking when a board member is doing that multiplying when they, because, you know, very often boards don't really know the programs that well, or they don't really have a sense of what's going on. So what does that highly engaged ambassador look like um, in terms of their uh, activities?
1: So many activities, and I'm happy to unpack them. And what I really want to emphasize is there's no one-size-fits-all model for what makes an effective board member and fundraising ambassador. So for example, if you're someone that really does love fundraising, facilitating peer-to-peer solicitations is an outstanding way to invite others to join me in making a gift to the organization that I care about and serve on the board on because of XYZ reasons, Alternatively, if you prefer to bring people together, you can host a small parlor meeting or, you know, a breakfast with your CEO and a group of people serving as a convener in an effort to raise awareness for the organization and broaden the the audience that falls into fundraising, but it's not direct peer to peer requests. And then one of my favorite ways that board members can be involved in fundraising is through stewardship, particularly for smaller organizations where you have competing priorities, a large pipeline to mine. You know, if you're a development director and you're sitting there, you have an hour in your day, you can either make an ask or thank someone for their gift, you're likely going to make the ask. So that's a great opportunity for a board member to pick up the phone or write a note or an email thanking someone for the gift that they made. And, you know, adding a couple of sentences on the impact of their contribution to the mission of the organization or the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's figuring out the ways in which your board members want to be involved in fundraising. What are their strengths? And then how can we create that synergy that allows them to be fantastic multipliers and fundraising ambassadors.
0: Mm. We just had a conversation with a client uh, with one of their board members and the board was interested in doing a peer-to-peer fundraising challenge. And I love that because Again, like that that's where the board, that particular board, where their sweet spot was in terms of their network, their ability to engage people. And um, you know, one of the things that that always comes up with with that and came up with them is, you know they asked, well shouldn't shouldn't we as a board be spending our time focused on corporate fundraising? And I said, well, it's not an either or, but where are your relationships? Let's focus on the relationships you have as a board <clears throat> and with those relationships, let's narrow it down even more to the people who are inclined to care about this work and let's pick a fundraising strategy that leverages that instead of what we see or hear. Cause I can't tell you how often I hear people say we need corporate money. We need corporate money. It's this pervasive belief. Part of, I I could talk about a rant (laughs) on that. I have on the podcast uh, (laughs) before, but um, I think that piece of where are we right now instead of what, what, should we be doing, I think is really an important distinction for organizations. You know, um, I always love the term, like stop shooting on yourself. Um, like we, we can't always focus on the should, should, should start where you are, start with the assets that you can
1: begin with and leverage right away. Everything you're saying really resonates with me. And I am someone that likes to ground what I talk about in data. So whenever I can, I always weave it in. And what you're saying about this misperception that corporate um, institutions drive philanthropy is something that I hear all the time. And I always refer back to the Giving USA data that comes out each summer. Last year um, in 2021, the data for 2020 came out and individuals drove 69% of total giving in the U.S., which was about $324 billion. Corporations, it was only only quotes, only about 17 billion. So that's a huge gap between where people think corporations are and where they actually are relative to individuals. So the message I think we're aligned in that is that individuals continue to drive giving. And so then if you break this down one step further, thinking about, okay, so our boards are comprised of individuals who care about the work that we're doing. I'll, you know, reference another report from Fidelity Charitable, where the most interesting statistic to me was that 62% of charitable donors are also recent volunteers. Mm -hmm. So not only do we want to focus on our people, our individuals, but we want to create meaningful volunteer opportunities like board leadership for those individuals that will strengthen their connection with the organization and drive your philanthropy. Oh, yes. I mean, a whole other podcast episode is really,
0: to me, our focus on corporate is a lot about, uh, our mindset and how we think about the value of philanthropy and asking and engaging people and giving, um, which is a whole other, I mean, I wrote a book on it, so (laughs) we could talk about that forever, but, uh, you know, the stats are there. It's not a question of is this information available? Again, I think it's how we distort uh, the information and in our our brains distort the information to keep us safe and comfortable. And for some reason, corporate feels safe and comfortable because we're talking about a corporation's money instead of our friend's money. Other conversation though. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about, um you know, The second thing we wanted to talk about was the idea of recruiting and engaging um, people in in this, right? So um, are we starting with our existing board members? Can can you get existing non-fundraising board members to start engaging in fundraising? How do you build it into the recruitment process? There's so much to
1: talk about there. Where do you want to start? Let's start with setting expectations. And so one of the things that I've seen in my work at CCS fundraising and the work that we do with boards has to do with educating board members on the role that they can play in fundraising. Many people just don't necessarily know what's expected of them. Um, you know, a few years ago, BoardSource created this report, sorry, with all the reports, but um You know, it talked about fundraising expectations, that when expectations are clearly articulated during board recruitment, 52% of CEOs report that their boards are actively engaged in fundraising efforts. Now, between you and me, I wish it was like 82%, not 52%, but I will take it. Because compared to the flip side, when fundraising expectations are not clearly articulated during recruitment, only 12% of CEOs Mm -hmm. report that their boards are actively engaged in fundraising. So what does that tell us? It tells us that there's a huge opportunity to communicate to our boards. Why are you here? You're here not only because you care about the mission, but because you bring your talents and your expertise and your influence in the community and your your position as a role model and a leader to be a multiplier for everything that we're doing, inclusive of fundraising so yes you are expected to make a gift that is meaningful for you some organizations at boards have um minimum giving they also have give get policies and there are opportunities to bring thought leaders on the board and you know leverage their connections as well but setting those expectations at the beginning so that you have and this is i think the most important part a strong culture of philanthropy on your board Mm,
0: yeah and i think um cause I often hear this from organizations. They're just like, how do we shift from, I mean, setting expectations up front. Yes. But even, you know, there's this breakdown of what we, again, like our picture of fundraising and philanthropy as mega gifts, as, you know, only certain people give those kinds of mega gifts. Therefore only certain people can help us get those mega gifts. And we've already established that that's not the kind of fundraising we're necessarily talking about. And certainly in my experience, not with small organizations, but, you know, we want to make sure that we redefine what that is in the process, because if we just say you're expected to fundraise, like even with a clear expectation, I think breaking it down And I love the way you frame that as multiplier. You know, there are different ways you can do this. I'm not asking you to bring a million dollar donation to the table. Um, We're asking you to do thank you calls. This is what fundraising looks like in our organization. Um, I think really is, I want to emphasize, I guess, that point. Because again, I've seen organizations that have conversations and they want to introduce Uh, fundraising expectations at the board. And the board is like, "Mm -mm, no, Uh, this is not why you recruited me. And I'm not interested. So we're going to not make this a policy or or it's just going to, you know, not move forward. Because I think, again, I I, just the the idea of expectations, is not just that the expectations fundraising, I think we have to be very clear and maybe even phase that in, like in the first year, what that looks like is doing thank you calls, right? Like that's what our fundraising is going to look like on our board right now and, and move it forward. Do you have any examples of small organizations you might've worked with that did introduce, um, these expectations
1: of the board and how they were able to do it successfully? I do. And so I think you, you raised an interesting point about, you know, how to navigate expectations of your CEO or executive director and development team with the expectations of the board. And that's really where I feel the education piece comes into play. So it's educating and then really empowering um, our board members to take ownership. And I I think about that in three ways. The first, as I mentioned, is clear expectations. And then the second, I think really focus on skill building. So can we create a fundraising toolkit for our board to make things as easy as possible for them? So if we're embarking on a capital campaign or we want to raise money for our annual fund, can we have an FAQ? So when board members are asked questions, they have the language right in front of them that they can answer. Can we create email templates or a voicemail message for them to use when they're reaching out to others? How can we make it as easy as possible for them so that this idea of fundraising is not intimidating, but rather something that they enjoy and is a natural part of their role. And then the last thing I would say, um, and I love facilitating workshops like this and trainings, but what are the educational opportunities that we can provide our board? You know, if you have your annual board retreat can you bring someone in to lead a solicitation training you know I did this at a small independent school it was a through k-8 school that was building their annual culture of giving and we had created an advancement committee to do some peer-to-peer solicitations and no one had really ever fundraised before so we met one evening we had lots of wine we did um like a role play, peer-to-peer solicitation training, provided a deep dive into how to make the ask and manage responses. And then when people went out to have these conversations, they felt prepared, they felt more confident, and best of all, they were really successful. And that success only fuels confidence and future success and future gifts that they can bring in.
0: hmm Absolutely. And I think um, there are so many amazing resources on how to train your board. Uh, But again, starting with what makes the most sense for your organization. Like if there's one thing I think that I'm hearing you say uh, and certainly uh, believe in myself is that we can't stop like, or we have to stop looking at like, what does that major organization do? Like what are the big shops doing? Like Where is your organization right now? And what's going to take you one step ahead because uh, I can't remember who who said this, but you know we don't have to see the whole staircase. We just have to see the next step to be able to move forward. And I really think that um, for small organizations, this is a huge a mountain, right? Like we compare what we see with the big organizations and it feels overwhelming and it feels like we're so far from that. And we don't, maybe the goal isn't actually that same mountain. Maybe it's a different one, but we still have to start with one step. So I think that that sort of the right, like right sized, uh, approach is so critical. Uh, when we talk about even what kind of training does our board need, right? Maybe, um, you know, maybe there it's not solicitation. Maybe it is just, uh, you know, how to write an amazing email to get people excited. And I think um, there's so many amazing resources out there. Let's talk a little bit about some of the best practices that you've seen uh, with small organizations in doing this work um, and getting, and, and we've been talking primarily about board, but I think, you know, you've mentioned to me before that it's not just board. These are any volunteers who are, um, Enthusiastically or reluctantly, raising their hand to uh, to help with fundraising. So, what are some things that we
1: want to uh, prioritize? Relationship building is probably the number one thing that we want to prioritize when considering how our board members can support our fundraising efforts. And so, I'm happy to share a case study um, of. One of the organizations um, that I've been working with, it's um, an advocacy organization that was really trying to engage some high capacity prospects in their fundraising efforts and ultimately expand their donor audience. And so one of their board members hosted a small group of prospects um, in what we called a parlor meeting at her summer home. It happened to be August at the time. She invited some of her friends and colleagues to hear the CEO speak about his vision. And it was really positioned as an insider's opportunity, a unique, special evening with the CEO. And during this event, the CEO discussed his vision for the future of the organization, some of the challenges in the broader landscape and then really unpacked some of the financial investments that he was seeking to have the greatest impact in the community that the advocacy organization served. And I would note that for the most part, this was a pretty new group of attendees. And as we all know, the most important part of any gathering is the follow-up. And so making sure that for every attendee, we had an action plan and you know for a smaller organization you don't have to have a 50 person gathering you can have an eight or ten person gathering as yes. long as you have the follow-up and so we made sure that there was follow-up um, we had one-on-one meetings planned one of the attendees was incredibly inspired by the vision and over the next couple of weeks Um, Through one or two additional meetings, we were able to secure a new um, five-figure annual commitment for this organization, again, from a completely new donor. And all of this was because the board member invited everyone to um, their home and, and used it as an opportunity to convene others under the mission of this advocacy organization.
0: I love that example. Small events, I call them micro events, are my favorite uh, because you are building relationships, as you said. And um, when you host a big event, there's no opportunity to actually connect with the people there. Whereas when you have a small event, you know, whether it's you're the, and this is one of the things I hear all the time from from organizations is that um, they're worried that like, with a small event, um, the you know you're worried about like what what's the expectation? Do we ask at the event or what have you? The board members, every ninety percent of board members I know, including ninety percent of eds, are afraid to ask. And so, uh, if we think of these, there's no ask. You know, it's just to get to know you. We can call it fundraising or whatever. And we've done it with asks, but it doesn't have to be. And uh, and then you can let a staff person do the follow-up, do the follow-through um, if the board isn't comfortable with that. But um, setting expectations around what the next steps are and who does it, again, I think is so absolutely critical and providing those resources. I just want to circle back to one of the things you said before in terms of providing templates, FAQs, all that kind of stuff. Um, we do that with our clients all the time. Where uh, if it's a peer to peer campaign, we provide all the assets that they can customize. If it's an in-person event, um, which it's been a while since we've had those, but uh, same thing, like we pre-write all the follow-up emails and all the things, and maybe there's an ask, maybe there's not, maybe the ask is for a, a meeting or a next step. So, um, and you can repeat these. Which is also amazing because one of the things I hear so much from organizations is this worry about, um, you know, all the work that has to go into it, but you do a peer-to-peer campaign once, you can do a peer-to-peer campaign 10 times yeah. and micro micro events, same thing. So, um, I love all these examples. I also know we're out of time. So Elizabeth, where can our listeners, um, connect with you, uh, and, you know, learn more about the work that you're doing and deep dive into this topic further.
1: Absolutely. So it's been a wonderful conversation. Cindy, thank you for the opportunity. For those of you listening, if you're interested in learning more about me, about CCS fundraising, I invite you to connect with me directly, whether it's via email. You can find me on LinkedIn. And I also have a professional Instagram account, Elizabeth Bernie Abel, where I offer nonprofit industry insights and fundraising tips. And cameos of my little toddler. So thank you all um, for tuning in. And and again, I would leave you with one one last thought. If our board members are our greatest fundraising ambassadors, just like we leverage them to steward our donors, it's so important that we steward them. And so always recognize your board members for their time and their energy and their leadership.
0: Mm, Absolutely, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. And to all of you, our listeners, thank you as always for your time. And we'll see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.